this is Pastor Daryl Beggs. You're listening to Sunday Morning Sermons from Central Baptist Church in Hillsboro, Texas. Thanks for joining us, and God bless you. Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. We are continuing today in our new series about Jesus. Hebrews, Jesus is better. Last week was Memorial Day, y'all remember? I had a picnic, and I almost died because I played tennis with the kids. And I'm still hurting. But thank God for the invention of ibuprofen. I got an amen. I always get an amen, but they're never exactly in the right spot. But that's okay. Um, Memorial Day. You know, last week I heard about a church, and they had put up pictures of people who'd been part of their church through the years that had, had lost their lives in the service. And one little boy came up and looked at all those pictures, and he said, what are these pictures of? And his dad said, well, those are pictures who died in the, of people who died in the service. And the little boy said, the morning or the evening service. And so it was... Um, it's a little scary if you're a kid. Today I want to talk to you about a better freedom, beginning in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 14 says, therefore... Now, that's the only word you need to know until we get into it further. Therefore, what is it therefore? You remember, every time you see a therefore, you ask what? Was it therefore? It's there because of all the stuff that's gone before him. It could also be translated because. And let me give you the because. Because Jesus is the last word. Because he's better than the prophets. Because all the pieces of the prophets and all the things ever said came to fruition in Jesus in his life. Because of that. Because He's the eternal God. He's the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the purifier of men. He has finished the work of salvation and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is better than angels because they are created beings. In chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? He says, pay close attention. Don't drift away. Don't drift off. You ever been out in the boat and on the lake you're enjoying it? All of a sudden you're out in the middle and you don't know how you drifted away? It can be a scary thing. So he says, don't drift away. Don't drift away in the middle even when life gets difficult. Be careful because Jesus is better. The words that God gave through angels are unalterable. So if those words are unalterable, how much more the words of Jesus? And how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Don't give up. Don't drift away. Keep moving forward because you've got something to look forward to. How shall we escape? Jesus raised the bar for all of us and then he fulfilled it himself so that we could have faith and trust in him. All things are subject to Him, even when it doesn't seem like they are. Let me say that again. Everything is subject to Jesus, even when it doesn't seem like it. And sometimes that happens in our lives. All things are subject to Him. He came to subject Himself to suffering and to humiliation. Jesus stepped out of heaven to suffer. Jesus stepped out of heaven to be humiliated. Jesus stepped out of heaven to walk in your shoes and mine so that He could relate to us perfectly and completely. He knew what he was getting into when he came. He came for that very purpose. The Bible says he was perfected through his suffering. Well, what does that mean he was perfected? He was already perfect, and he's always been perfect, and he always will be perfect. But it means that he 
In, in another translation, it means that he was made complete. He was made effective. He was made adequate for our salvation through the things that he walked through, that he went through, that he endured, that he suffered for us. He was perfected through all of those things, through the insults, through being misunderstood, even by his own family who thought he was crazy and they wanted to carry him off to the loony bin. It, all the things that he went through, the, the grief as he stood at the tomb of Lazarus, as he saw people hurting because their loved ones had died, he understood the depths of grief and the hurting of the pain that that had caused in our world. Abandonment as people turned and walked away after he had fed them and taken such good care of him, they abandoned him and walked away because what he said got too difficult for them and they didn't want to hear it. He understood abandonment and betrayal and denial and total humiliation, being crucified naked on a cross before the world. Jesus understands humiliation. So the next time you're humiliated or embarrassed, you're in good company because Jesus was totally, absolutely humiliated before the world for our sins, for yours and for mine, and even death. Physical death, yes, terrible physical death, suffering, beatings, being spat upon, his beard plucked out, a crown of thorns and nails and wood, and the thump of a cross going into the ground and tearing at his flesh as he suffered and cried out in pain. But more than that, middle of the day, it's dark. And he, he understands spiritual death as well because that's what happens to everyone who doesn't trust in Christ. They are separated from God in the darkness forever, for all eternity. He suffered in the darkness for three hours. His, the Father turned His face away and He was forsaken for you and for me. He understands not only the pain of physical death, he understands the pain of separation because for all eternity he had never been separated from his father. They had always been face to face. They had always had a perfect relationship, but not that day. That day the father turned his face away because he poured out the wrath of all time for all sin on his own son in the darkness of those three hours in the middle of the day. He took hell for you and for me that darkness, that suffering, that pain. So it wasn't just the physical pain. It was the pain of separation from God and hopelessness. But thank God the sun came back out. And after he was placed in that tomb, as we just sang about, that grave couldn't hold him and he was raised so that we could have hope for now and for all eternity. If you look at verse 11 of chapter 2, it says, for both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that is us, the word means to be set apart for the service of God, are all from one Father, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Why is he not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters? We're sinners. And we fail him, and we mess up, and we helped crucify him. You know why he's not ashamed? Because he walked in your shoes and mine. He was tempted in every way as we are. He understands everything you'll ever go through and more. So he's not ashamed to take the feebleness of our humanity and bring us into his family and say, these are my brothers and sisters. What an incredible thought. And that's who he is to us. Therefore, we get back to the therefore. Therefore. 
Therefore, he has brought a better freedom, a freedom we could never have without him. It is a freedom, first of all, freedom from the fear of death. Look at verse 14. Most of us, hopefully, as Christians are not afraid to die. We may be afraid of how we're going to die, but we're not afraid. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. He became a man, a person, just like us. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. He became a man. What does it say in John chapter 1? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, came to be a person like us. He was tempted in everything, the scripture says, tempted in always, always, yes, always, every way. Whatever temptation you've ever had, he had it. But I think it was even stronger for him because he's the son of God. He's on his way to the cross. Do you think the devil left out anything in his arsenal to try to keep Jesus from being our atoning sacrifice? I don't. I think he was tempted to the nth degree for us and he won victory over those temptations without sin he died the perfect sacrifice to render powerless the one who had the power of death what does that mean we know god has the power of life and death but who is this devil that he talks about the the bible says jesus calls him a murderer and a liar jesus took uh, the devil took delight the day cain killed abel And he laid there in his blood. And the devil has been taking delight in people committing crimes and doing deadly and evil things. And he has the power of death. Death reigns over our world. There is a a pall in our own world, in our own society. We, We hear about death being, life being so cheap and death being so easy for people to go in and shoot and kill other people and for the notoriety and for the, who do you think is behind all of that except for Satan himself? He's a murderer. He's a liar. Jesus said he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants to bring death to every man. He knows that life is found in Jesus. And if he can keep as many people as he can keep from coming to Jesus, that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to see pews that are full on Sunday. He doesn't want to see Christians who are faithful to witness. He wants to keep us quiet so that death can continue to reign in our world day after day after day. And we live in a state of panic when you and I have the answer. He wants death to rule and reign. This fear that hangs over the whole human race all the time, this fear of death. Most of us have heard of the sword of Damocles. It's a moral parable that was popularized by the philosopher Cicero in ancient Rome. In 45 BC, he tells the story of Damocles. Damocles was a servant to the king Dionysius. And he kept telling the king, now I'm going to give you the redneck version of this, okay? But he kept telling the king how great he had it, how wonderful it'd be if he could just be the king. So the king said, boy, if you think this is so great, why don't you take a shot at it? Why don't you give it a whirl? And so 
Damocles was all excited. And he, well, of course I want to trade places with you. I want to be there. And so he sat him down on the golden couch and he brought to him servants to give him everything he ever wanted. He brought to him delicious steaks, succulent food to eat. Everything, I mean, he could want. He is having the time of his life until suddenly he looks up. There he sees a razor-sharp sword over his head, and it's hanging there by the thread of one horse hair. And he begins to get a little nervous. And the more he eats, and the more he sees the servants, the more he worries, and the more he looks up. And finally, he decides it's not worth it. He he gives it up. I don't want to be here anymore. I, I quit. And he gets up and he walks away. And Cicero says, the moral to the story is, of this, uh, is this. There can be no happiness for one who is unster, con, under constant apprehensions. That's a picture of the human race. We're all under the sword. We're all under the sword of death. We're all under the sword of apprehension until Jesus comes and frees us from that. One day, I gave my life to Jesus when I was a little boy. Later on, he made himself more clear to me and helped me to understand. So I'm not afraid to die. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm not excited about how it's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to be. But I can tell you that I'm not afraid because of the grace of God. I'm not a slave to that. My life and your life as Christians is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to defeat the devil who had the power to keep his foot on our necks and and keep us under this sword of threat. And now you and I can look in his face and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm not afraid of you. And I'm not afraid of your threats and I'm not afraid of dying. Whether I live or I die, I belong to Jesus. He He came to take the fear out of death. But not only that, in verse 15, he talks about freedom. It says, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. We're no longer slaves to sin and death. No longer do we have this sword hanging over us. We're not only free from the fear of death, we're free to present ourselves to God. Look back with me in Romans chapter 6 for a minute. It's not enough really just to be free from fear. There has to be a positive a positive presentation after that about what are we a slave to? In verse 15 of chapter 6 of Romans, it says, What then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. Now listen to this. Do you not know when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? When we present ourselves to sin, it results in what? Death. When we present ourselves to righteousness, it results in life. Obedience, it results in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. 
And having been what? Freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So what are you a slave of now? If you're not a slave to the fear of death anymore, what does the Scripture say we're a slave to? It says we are slaves of righteousness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Jesus, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I am a slave of righteousness. Would you say that out loud with me? I am a slave of righteousness. Is that true? Well, that's what the Bible says. The Bible also says that we're no longer condemned, doesn't it? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me, what? Free from the law of sin and death. I don't have to be afraid to die anymore, and I also don't have to be a slave to my sin anymore. I can be a slave of righteousness because of Jesus Christ and what He's done for me. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. God has been putting this verse on my mind more and more lately to, to help me with my attitude. It simply says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Make the choice to dwell on what is true about you. What is true about you and me? We are free from the fear of death. And we're also free and we become slaves then of righteousness. That's what the scripture says. Whatever is true. What is true about us? Well, it's true that he's finished the work of our salvation. He has bought us with his own blood. He's forgiven our sins. How How many of our sins has he forgiven? You mean all? Really? All? The Scripture says that He took everything that was against us and nailed it to the cross. That's, that's all, isn't it? That means all. We're, we're forgiven for all of our sins. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the gift of the Bible. He's given us this gift of prayer. He's given us the gift of one another. How can we possibly lose unless we choose to lose? Don't you see what he's saying to these Hebrews who are going through difficult times? That's what he's saying to them. It's what he's saying to us. How can we lose unless we choose to? That is not what God desires for us. In verse 16, look at verse 16 again. It says, For assuredly he does not give help to angels. Angels don't need the help of salvation, but we do. But he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Notice what he said there. Help is always available to children of Abraham. Who are children of Abraham? Well, that's you and me. Why are we children of Abraham? Because God promised to Abraham that he was going to bless all the nations through him, and that fulfillment came through Jesus Christ. Notice he said Abraham, not Adam. Adam is our earthly father, and through Adam we inherit sin, and through Adam we are sinners. But it's not just because of Adam. We're all sinners by nature, but we're also sinners by choice. We choose to sin. So we can't just blame Adam and say, it's my daddy's fault. But thank God we have Abraham, the father of the faithful, who through the Lord Jesus Christ, the promise has been fulfilled. And fulfillment of the promise of God, we inherit freedom and we are free from the bondage of the fear of death 
not only free from the bondage of the fear of, ult, of, of our physical death, but of the death of daily sin. And that's the second part. Notice with me here, it's not only fear of death, but it's freedom from temptation's power. How many of you have been tempted? Anybody been tempted? This week? you have any temptations this week? How many would you like to share? No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, freedom from temptation's power. Look at verse 17. Therefore, what is that therefore? Well, it goes back to that. All this stuff about being free. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in, in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. That's good news. Let, let's look at it together. He become like us how? In all things. In all things. That means that he entered completely into our struggles. And he won. That's the, that's the important part. He entered completely into our struggles, but he won. From helpless babe to growing child to adolescence to being a teenager. He made it all the way through adolescence without sin. That's pretty glorious, isn't it? The struggles of weariness and hunger and thirst and weakness and being despised and rejected, he entered into all things for us. So now he's merciful and he's faithful. What does that mean? He is merciful toward us and he is faithful toward God. Aren't you thankful for that? When, when you and I are faithless, what does the scripture say? say? He remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He offers us mercy. What do we deserve? We deserve death. We deserve hell. But He offers us mercy. He's a merciful high priest. Faithful toward God. The one and only perfect and eternal high priest. He can never fail. He can never fail in His priestly duties. He is representing us before God right now. He sacrificed Himself that we might be reconciled. He's the propitiation. What does that word propitiation mean? It means that He is the atoning sacrifice for us. It means that He took all of the wrath of God upon Himself that we might be free. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way, but the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all that we might have freedom. But also, secondly, in verse 18, He's a sympathetic high priest. That last verse is, is such a sweet verse. Since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So what happens when we're tempted? We have a choice and we have a helper. Remember that. We have a choice and we have a helper. No temptation ever conquered Jesus. And because he's defeated every enemy, even death, he is able to run to the rescue, to hear the cry. When your children were little and you heard a cry, you ran to their rescue. When your grandchildren hurt and you hear a cry, you run to the rescue. That's Jesus. He's able to run to our rescue. He desires to run to our rescue when He hears our cry. He's only a prayer, a thought, a trusting heart away from being there for us. 
And you know what happens? Every time when we're tempted and we remember to think of him and his word, we remember to cry out to him for help. We remember who we are in Christ. I am not a slave to that. I'm a slave to righteousness. Even though I may not feel like it right now, I'm going to stand on that and ask the Lord to help. And every time we get victory, we, we gain greater strength. Try it and see. It's not, it's not magic. It's not mumbo-jumbo. It's Jesus. It's the promise of His Word. So, what's the difference then between Jesus as high priest and Jesus as advocate? In 1 John it says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That means after we become a Christian, if we sin. Do we sin even after we're Christians? Yeah, we do. We mess up. So what's the difference in a high priest? Well, as high priest, he is able to give us grace to keep us from sinning when we're tempted. When we get in the middle of the temptation and remember his word and his promise and we cry out to him and we overcome it, that's grace. But when we blow it anyway, when we come up to temptation and it wins, he is our advocate. For if we sin, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he has taken his own blood and sprinkled it on the heavenly altar. And he intercedes for us to the Father. And when we're sincere in confession, we're forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. Is he not a glorious Savior? That's a better freedom That's a better freedom that we can ever have in this world. He gives us freedom. When I was a little boy, I spent a lot of time with my dad. Um, He had a regular job, but then he always had extra jobs that he did. He was always doing something to make more money. And one of his jobs was uh, horseshoeing. And I don't know how many miles we drove in that old truck, here and there and everywhere, so he could shoe horses. And one day, of course, I would go with him, and I was only five or six years old. And uh, you know how five- and six-year-old boys are. They like to explore. So one day, we're at this ranch, and he's working with the horses. And he really, he keeps an eye on me, but it's hard to concentrate on a horse's hoof and a kid at the same time. So I went exploring. And they had this big, tall barn. You remember those old barns that had a loft? had a big door, but then up on the top there was a loft. Well, I, I had to get up in that loft. I mean, if you're a little boy, you got to go to the loft. I went up on that loft. I got to the door, and I looked out the door. Man, that was way down. And I got dizzy, and I lost my balance, and I fell out of the loft. And I was uh, scared. Suddenly, in this free fall, while I'm waiting to hit the ground and break my bones and suffer the consternation of my dad for doing such a foolish thing, I feel two arms cradle me, catch me. And it was the rancher that he was shoeing the horse for. 
Oh, it felt so good to be saved. To be freed from that fear. I'll never forget that, man. But somebody better save me later. His name is Jesus. And when the sword was hanging over my head, and when I was descending fast toward the hard ground and the brokenness of life, He caught me and He caught you so that He might give us freedom from the fear of death and power over the temptations and victory even when we choose to do things that aren't so smart. And all God's people said, would you stand with me as we pray?